0: Hello, hello, and welcome to Ethosphere. I am your host, Nathan Alex Orona, and as always, I am super excited for you to journey with me today as we complete In Light of the Shadow. This is part two. So last time, we left off by talking about our anti-hero, Tyler Durden, and his problem being that of absence. Absence of what? Absence of the father. So absence of the father is the final element of Chuck Palahniuk's Unholy Trinity. In a lot of ways, the absence of something affects us way more than that which is in our presence. If you remember me talking about the mechanic, he said what you are in what you end up doing is you spend your life searching for a father and God. Our character Jack is the orphan of an overly materialistic world. He feels betrayed when he realizes that his lifestyle obsessions have only been junk food for a wandering soul. But instead of a course correction, he represses the rage until it becomes apathy, nihilism, insomnia, depression, and eventually, Tyler Durden, the shadow. One of the hardest things for us to do is admit to ourselves that we have been wrong. Admitting we are wrong is an easy path compared to admitting that we've willingly allowed ourselves to be misled by our parents, teachers, and all of society. Misled into thinking that if we just play ball, eventually we will all be rock stars and millionaires. An idea reflected in the movie in a speech given by Tyler to the members of Fight Club. Take a few minutes sometime and think about moments in your life when you have had to admit that you were wrong about something. Ask yourself if it was easy. What are you lying to yourself about right now? Does your job satisfy you? Does that new car fill a void? Would finally getting that new vehicle, house, phone, family, etc., etc., would any of those things complete you? Jack created the self-destructive Tyler not to help him find himself, but to fill in for the absence left by a father who led him into the hands of a spiritless land and then left him for dead, figuratively anyways. And since the absence can never truly be filled, the only thing to do is find what it is that hurt you, exposed you to the pain of the world, and then try to destroy it. In the last podcast, we talked about aligning our goals with our values, or at least I think we did. We talked about the gestalt, and how desires can never really be brought to fruition. And once you think you've quenched the burning of a thirsty soul, the gestalt just starts all over, and it's on to the next one. If we aim for the symbol of the Father, we aim for what is true and right and good. This is something like following the righteous path, something that you could call the Tao or the Way. What we are seeking out is the Fellowship, the fellowship that we once had in the Garden, the Garden of Eden. And as I mentioned, we can also be quite successful in fleshly standards without aiming for transcendence. But when our goal is to deny the Father and burn all paths He's created, thinking that we can reconstruct ourselves from the ashes, we quickly realize that what we needed for the reassembly process was destroyed as well. You have no foundation. This is why I feel for the deconstructivists, the deconstructivists that want to topple the patriarchy, the ones you see out in the street right now. I feel for those people. It's not that they don't have a point, whether we agree with them or not. When given a chance, historically speaking, you know, the patriarchy, men have behaving badly. But ask yourself, what are we proposing? What are we willing to tear down? What are we willing to sacrifice? We formulated a problem, and the problem is something like men are fundamentally bad. Men seek to establish power, which is a Nietzschean claim, and they are, they are willing to do anything and everything to achieve said power, causing the subjugation of all who they see as the other. Okay, fair enough. This is an extraordinary problem. But the problem is never really the problem i'm going to say that again the problem is never really the problem well what the hell do i mean by that well i mean just that the problem is never really the problem follow me down this rabbit hole for a minute think about a crying baby when a baby cries it's usually a sign that it's hungry what's the natural instinct of a mother when she hears her baby crying her instinct is to pick that baby up and console it, right? The mother thinks to herself, I, I just fed you. Then she starts to create more problems in her head. Well, you only drank half the bottle. Let me try giving you the, the other half. What happens when the baby rejects rejects the other half, pushes it away, and screams even louder? The mother says, oh, you probably need a diaper change. The mother proceeds to change her baby, and only to find out, that the diaper is dry. It's not teething. It's not colicky. The mother rocks the poor little thing and the screaming drones on and on and on. So the problem was never really the problem. Problems seemingly have a solution, but none of the the solutions seem to work. We think that our major issue is a crying baby, but in reality, the issue is that we are not and never were equipped to handle crying baby. But the solution is not to just throw the baby in the trash. You can't just throw your hands up and say, well, I tried everything and nothing worked. Better toss this little son of a gun in the garbage and try for another one. I'm sure next time things will be different. No, because that's not how things work. We're all too quick these days to just dismiss the things that are laid out before us. How many times have you opened a gym membership just to cancel it? Or you leave it open and you just never go? How many times have you started a diet on a Monday and by Wednesday you're like, forget this, and you go straight for those donuts? You might think this has nothing to do with the struggle against the patriarchy, but maybe you've missed the point. Maybe I'm missing the point. But I say to you, if you can't face the dietary upbringing you've had in your own life, if you can't beat the non-existence of physical exercise, and bring yourself to exercise. If you can't conquer the here and the now, or whatever it may be, how do you expect to conquer the age-old quagmire that is male dominance? Without a foundation to land on, all you have is the suffering that eventually manifests into the shadow self, the soulless, haphazard, ego-times-id, that materializes when things aren't grounded heavily in reality. But what do we know about reality? You know, my grandmother, she used to have a saying. I'd start complaining about something mundane, something trivial, and my grandmother would just raise her eyebrows, tilt her head slightly to the side and say, yeah, this world and one more. She wasn't dismissing what I had to say, not entirely. She just knew from experience that what I was going through would pass. You see, my grandma had been raised in extreme poverty, by our standards anyways. She grew up in the heart of the American South, a poor Irish kid that worked the crops of Alabama alongside her brother, sister, mother, and father. She had one pair of shoes, and these were reserved for church on Sunday, the holy rolling Pentecostal type of church, where the congregation handled both sin and snakes with the same calloused hands. I remember joking with her and one of my friends when I was a teenager saying, Hey, my grandma knows how to handle snakes. She used to dance with them in church as a kid. She'll show you how if you ask her. And with her, she, she possessed this crazy, I don't know what to call it, like laconic wit that was just real short and sharp. And I remember my grandmother saying, yeah, handle it with the end of my garden hoe. She achieved an eighth grade education and quit to help her family bring in money, an easy life she had not. So when I was bellyaching about how something wasn't fair or how life sucked, and she said, this life and one more, she was really preaching a, a subtle sermon. And those five words, this life and one more, she was with tongue in cheek saying, what do you know about life? What do you know about suffering? What do you know about reality? You, you who wakes up in a temperature, temperature regulated house. What do you know? You who flips a switch and lights magically come on. Not sometimes, not with delay, right now. The lights come on every time. What do you know of life and suffering and reality? You who has an outfit for every day of the week. Not just an outfit, but a clean outfit. What the hell do you know? This life and one more, I guess. My grandmother helped my mother raise me. She had the most interesting character I've ever encountered. It took me a long time to really understand the things she tried to teach me. Most of the lessons having a delayed effect that wouldn't bear fruit until I was a man. I remember being heartbroken by the first girl I ever really loved and crying to my grandmother about it. This was the snot-filled, crocodile-tear kind of breakup. I had the worst headache of my life after this breakup. The pain was so bad I had to rock back and forth in the middle of my bed with the lights out. I wanted to die. When I talked with my grandparental about the breakup and told her how much I loved this girl, she busted out with another charming expression. This one, definitely in total dismissal of what I was saying. And the expression was, Oh foot, oh foot, you won't know what love is until you have kids of your own. And hot damn if she wasn't spot on. I was 30 when I had my first and only child. And I've truly never loved anything or anyone the way that I love that little girl. Not my first girlfriend. Not my mom. Not my grandma. Not my wife. Not the Pope. Not God or the universe. Nothing. But this was another subtle lesson in reality taught to me by both a parental figure and time. And this is what I'm talking about when I'm talking about that foundation that's going to be missing if you try to tear things down that you don't understand. Proverbs 3.18 says, Wisdom is a tree of life, and there is no wisdom in annihilation. Violence and destruction are easy, but rarely is there anything born from them that leads us to what is good. There's a farming method that that relies on violence to bring forth growth. It's called slash and burn. Farmers slash weeds and undergrowth to let it dry so that they can burn it, and in the ashes of the mayhem, nutrients support the yielding of new crops. It actually proves quite poetic. However, they end up having to move from field to field, as this method tends to be laborious and hard to maintain. It's crazy that you can think about something like that and relate it, to what's going on with the riots and the destruction and the burning that's going on in our streets today. The same could be said of Jack and Tyler's plan in Fight Club to slash and burn the modern mores and long standing institutions. Tyler is willing to set the world ablaze because Jack is unconsciously angry. He's angry that his value system has been selected from the IKEA Spring catalog. Again, I'm speaking figuratively. We're all guilty of this. We've all killed the father to set up a shrine in our own image. This happens on multiple levels, too. If you've ever stayed at a job you hate for any length of time until you just say screw it and walk out, or you just stop showing up, or you call in so much that they just fire you, in these cases, you've compromised your values to the point that your mind, body, and soul begin to rebel and you know exactly what I'm talking about. All three of these domains present differently, but they can all mess with you at once. Think about it. Think about a job you've hated. Maybe you hate your current job, I don't know. But what happens when you wake up in the morning? What happens the night before? What are you saying to yourself? What's your self-talk? What does it sound like? Oh God, oh God. I don't freaking want to go to work tomorrow, right? And in the morning when you wake up, boom, you're thrown into existence. And your mind says, fuck, does any of that sound familiar? And the first thing your body does as your feet hit the floor, is slump at the shoulders and your head drops and little by little each day. So does your soul. In cases like this, something's got to give. Not all of us are so unforgiving that we want to bring about the destruction of the world. However, We are all very capable of carrying out transgressions that are just as destructible, only on a smaller, more focused scale. It's unbelievable how many faces repressed anger and emotions can wear. Keeping with the example of the hated job, any number of behaviors begin to appear. Alcoholism is one of them. With alcohol, you begin to compound your problems. Everything from degradation of health to just being a son of a bitch to your family and friends. Your quality of work begins to suffer, along with your quality of life. It's a rough lesson to learn, but not all acts of aggression, not all acts of violence, are surface and transparent. Sometimes it's as simple as the next bourbon and coke. What is a hangover if not you having tried to fill the absence of the divine with liquor, then making weak moral choices while feeling uninhibited, and then having a front row seat to the misery ushered in by dehydration, the cotton mouth, the spinning room, the pounding cranium. You call it hell or you call it the consequences of your own actions. Either way, the next day you're going to start praying. Please, Lord, please make this go away. I promise, Lord, I promise I'll never drink again. Just make this go away. And then what happens? The next night, friends call you up and you're already feeling better because you're an asshole in your 20s or 30s. And the next thing you know, you're at the bar again. Doing what? Slamming beers and chasing them with shots of Patron. I feel you. I'm not even mad at you. This life is ridiculous. This life is hard. We can't expect to properly emulate the Christ. We can't expect to be as the Buddha. We are not the preservations of Muhammad. The thing is, no matter the circumstances, no matter our lot in life, The harder we attempt to destroy what isn't ours to destroy, the more that thing becomes us. The father, to loosely rearrange the words in Fight Club, the father is our model for God. To kill the father is to kill the self. What you're really wanting to kill is the shadow or your back turned to the light. Greed, suffering, anger, rage, self-hatred, nihilism, jealousy, procrastination, fear. God, I could go on and on. Your mind knows when you aren't living up to your potential. It knows when you've compromised your values. You know, I, I work with, I think I've mentioned this before, but I work with foster youth. And they're primarily the ages of 18 to 21. And these kids, they have no idea, no idea what I see in them. All I see is raw, untapped potential. And I tell them this too. Do they listen to anything I tell them? Hell no. But, that's my job. Your typical teenager doesn't have the, how would you put it? Your typical teenager doesn't have the mental construction to deal with the serious problems of the world. And they shouldn't. They've only been alive for like two minutes and conscious for like 15 seconds of that. Now take a teenager that has been abused, abandoned, neglected, passed around from family member to family member, foster homes, group placements, had to deal with state workers and counselors and case managers constantly being in their face on top of all that they're dealing with multiple mental diagnoses all at once anxiety disorders attachment disorders post-traumatic stress disorder adhd radical attachment disorder on and on and on and on and then comes drugs and alcohol abuse and sexual promiscuity if there was ever a population that made you think, Jesus, this world is just straight jacked up. This is that population. If ever there was a reason to burn it all down and start over, it's seeing the aftermath that is the life of a foster youth. And I'm not going to lie, I've spent good portions of my lunch hour crying in my vehicle. And not because I'm pissed at the world, but because I recognize that these kids can be greater than the world they have everything they need and so do you to transcend the world and to move beyond it one john 4 4 says the spirit who lives in you is greater than the spirit who lives in the world so i think i'll conclude here if you are seeking a cure for what ails you start by taking stock of your values Figure out what keeps you in line with the authentic you. Take what you've discovered by doing this and then buttress it with your ultimate aim or goals. Once you do this, you begin to behave with intention. And once you begin to behave with intention, no one can question your conviction. I'm going to say that again. Once you begin to behave with intention, no one can question your conviction. You slowly chain the Tyler Durden. You slowly chain the shadow by turning to focus on the light. Think Plato's allegory of the cave. And you may wish nothing more than to rid yourself of the shadow self little by little. The more success you have moving forward and doing what is right, the more you learn to incorporate the shadow with the father. Think alcoholics that work to sober up and stop drinking one day at a time. One day at a time, one day at a time, until eventually you are a version of yourself that others try to emulate or hate. It can work either way, right? That's a different topic. But by staying true to your aim, this is how you create the most authentic version of yourself, the authentic self. Once this happens, no matter where you release your arrow, so to speak, you will almost always hit your target. Thank you for being with me today. Once again, I appreciate all of you. If you want to get a hold of me, if you want to ask questions, if you have anything to say, comments, you can go to ethosferia at gmail.com. You can go to ethospheria.com to my website. There is a contact link there. Leave me a message. Tell me how dumb I am. Tell me if you enjoyed the show, whatever it is that you want to say, drop by. I love all of you. Peace be with you.